time again for the Broken Clock Podcast. And this week, Mouse and I are talking about bands. Not like Ray-Ban sunglasses. Stuff becoming verboten, cancelled, whatever you want to call it. Of yeah, course, it's richtig verboten. There you go. Uh, we're probably going to be a lot of interesting words in many languages on this one. But uh, this is, of course, inspired by the 21, 22 some odd states that um, are talking about banning critical race theory in the U.S. K through 12, even though we can't find any examples of critical race theory being on K through 12 curriculums in the United States. But also there's a move up here in Canada to cancel Canada Day after the um, the shocking, but not really surprising to anybody who'd been following the, the residential school system up here, but the discovery of uh, mass graves, unmarked graves, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're already almost at a thousand people with far more to come, if you ask me. But the question I want to examine today is whether banning something does anything useful. When is a ban appropriate? Uh, when is a ban not a ban? Most maybe we'll start there. Uh, when I first started talking about this critical race theory thing, caveat, we have done shows in the past that make it clear we are not fans of critical race theory, which is why I think it's important that people like us who don't support it talk about this because, you know, if, if you only if you only speak up when speech you agree with is challenged, that's really not a free speech position. That, that's stacking the deck in a lot of ways. But uh, when I first started talking about this on social media, Mouse, I was told it's not a ban. Governments have the right to set curriculum. To which I responded, show me anything else other than sex education that has gotten the affirmative ban treatment. Not, we're just not going to include it on curriculum. The, you must not say these things. Like they're Gandalf. Yeah, you must not pass. You shall not pass sort of thing. And other than sex education, I can't find very many examples, which ironically comes up in the actual wording of the bills that apparently they didn't, have to say that you shouldn't teach that one race is superior to other races in schools now because and you know they're they're saying oh you can't teach things like holocaust denial now now that they want to go after critical race theory Mm -hmm. all of a sudden republicans care about holocaust Holocaust denialism (laughs) right um and even even then you know i Mouse, what do you think about this whole topic before I just go into the weeds on this? Because I, <laughs> I I, admit I'm really, really concerned, not just by the laws that I think are terribly written. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. But also the people that don't see this as any sort of chilling of speech or attack on freedom of expression. Well, there is... A very easy way to identify whether or not freedom of speech is being suppressed is the government doing it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
individuals can decide what the hell they're going to discuss, what is to be discussed in their companies, etc. They have that right. The government does not have that does not have the right to impose a certain type of speech or ban a certain type of speech. Um, and of course, that is one of the contradictions when people say, well, the government has the right to impose a curriculum. I think I have made it very plain and very clear that I do not believe such a right should exist. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, well, the, the proof of that is in the pudding, which is the incredibly dysfunctional, uh, extremely basic education system in the United States of America, mm -hmm. which has, as, you know, as more and more bureaucrats have decided to set the, uh, the curriculum as part of their agenda, because let's face it, that's what it is. It's, um, it's definitely agenda driven. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, go ahead. You have had, a, 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 I'm sorry to, to put it this way, but you've had a, a, an enormous amount of imbecilic people crawling out of that system. Mm -hmm. People who have never heard of uh, the Japanese internment uh, camps, for example. Yes, <laughs> I, I admit I'm, I'm shocked both up here regarding the residential schools and down in the US regarding pretty much everything, how little people know. Oh yeah, it is absolutely, <clears throat> it's absolutely astonishing. And it's happened only over the course of 40 years, uh, 50 years, it's, it has been that powerful of a dive. Uh, because you can see, you can have an educated guess as to what the, the medium education level of people were uh, back then, just by consuming the popular media of the day. Right. So, for example, if you go and open up, say, an episode of Maud. Yes. This is B, B. Arthur and, uh, you know, B. Arthur, 1970s comedy, um, the sheer level of even literary references that were considered to be at least <laughs> common knowledge by a good amount of the population yeah were you know you could see the references right there you had references to noel coward um yeah and there there's of course the episode where maud has a friend who's a writer and is gay and it exposes her hypocrisy because she believes she, and she's totally perfectly fine with gays and at the end um, the uh, his the writer friend tells her, you know, you're just you're just another guilt-ridden liberal who is trying to, pretends to be more progressive than she is, but is so full of hang-ups mm -hmm. um, that you're guilt-ridden. And he and he says, Maud, those prejudices you don't think you have, let them bother you. Let them bother you to hell. In the seventies, yeah. The I 70s. mean, the one that always strikes me is Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Mm. 1982 film that Paradise Lost, Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, uh, mm -hmm. the the books on con shelf. I bring this up all the time. The film assumes people have at least a passing awareness of what's going on with those books because exactly. it really very much informs the story. And you're right, Mouse. There there has been. Uh, active, I don't know if I, I can't, I can't prove deliberate, but active moving away from basically general philosophy and critical thinking into, 
regurgitation. So skills such as, you know, computers that everybody thought computers were going to be the, the big future, of course, you know, knowing how to use a computer and knowing how a computer works are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those learn to code classes are somewhat wasted because, you know, this, the, the, the programs used to produce this stuff are so constantly changing that, you know, almost by the time you learn it, in a in a public school system it would be out of date now knowing the fundamentals right. isn't a bad thing well right? knowing the fundamentals is the thing that'll make you a programmer that's actually right. one of the reasons why my husband wants to do an education website that touches mm-hmm. on the fundamentals instead of learn to code java in three weeks right. and you'll become a programmer right right because no the minute you if you learn that way the minute you encounter something foreign you you can't deduce or induce the solution because you don't have the fundamentals right it's the difference between teaching to the test yes and teaching someone to figure out the answers yeah and i mean to me the wording of these bills talks about what america is afraid of you know the fact that there would be any concern that kindergarten teachers would be teaching four-year-olds that America is an inherently racist country. That is a big alarm bell for me based on, you know, the, the reading I've done and, and on propaganda and how it works and how big government suppression of speech actually functions. They're trying to create a very strong artificial narrative about the U.S. Something about that 1619 project completely spooked them. And I'm going to take an opportunity to explain why I don't mind the 1619 project being used in schools. Have you have you read anything of the 1619 project, Mouse? I haven't. Yeah, the the first article the the uh, sort of one that touched it all off was an essay from a daughter talking to her father about race. And long story short, the dad who had lived through Jim Crow, you know, was born into Jim Crow, lived through it, had a far more prosaic attitude about the whole thing than his daughter who, you know, heard the stories and and saw the residual effects on her father, the father's perspective is things are getting better. That's good. The daughter is angry. And what I liked about it was it actually, even though it's written from the daughter's point of view, I was left kind of going, I think the dad has more wisdom in this case. And, and uh, there's sort of an overt blind spot that the daughter is being angry on her father's behalf. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I took for it from it, meaning it's a perfectly valid piece of writing to use in a classroom because there's two sides to argue there. Right. Right. Like it's perfectly valid to agree with the daughter. It's perfectly valid to agree with the father. The whole point is they both have good points. Why would you ban that? That to me is the most inclusive teaching material on difficult subjects that you can possibly get. And I know part of it is that 
America is obsessed with myths about America. Oh, yeah. Obsessed. There is a unique sort of nationalism in the U.S. I mean, I think I said to you earlier, Mouse, this week, that if anybody even whispered that maybe the 4th of July should be canceled for a year, it wouldn't get anywhere. Certainly not a, a major media discussion like Cancel Canada Day is up here, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But so, OK, there's that there's that framework, but there's something deeper in this. Because people don't actually see the problem with it. They're so afraid of this idea that, you know, America back in 1776 or they want to start it at 1619. I don't care, terribly care. I think the day America began is something of a semantic argument that matters less than, again, the fundamentals of what we're discussing here. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, back then, considering the social climate, yeah, there were probably things that were super racist. Why is this a controversial statement? It's it's strange, right? Like, we really need to question why people are so afraid of that idea. And it seems to be that, you know, then there's the extrapolation. Well, it's still an inherently racist country. Obviously, that's up for much more debate, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think this ridiculous semantic argument between inherently racist and systemically racist is just a waste of bloody time. You know, it definitely is. It's it's a waste. It's solve the problem. The, this focus on on terminologies. And I mean, that's an issue I have with critical race theory itself. It likes to take ideas, regurgitate them into re reductive slogans and make up catchphrases that just sound cool. And people, you know, it's the language of activism, which often does more harm than good in academia, because it, we right. get into these stupid semantic fights about things like whiteness versus actually being white. I am so sick of that fight. But am I saying ban whiteness? No. Am I saying ban the term whiteness? No. I'll just point out that, you know, Robin D'Angelo's white fragility is, you know, tripe. And isn't it ironic that, you know, even in critical race theory, something that started with black people going, hey, something's kind of hinky about our legal systems. One of the best known voices in critical race theory is a white woman. Mm -hmm. That just frosts me, right? Like, do we not see the problem here? But, you know, that's not the same. Me mocking it, me being frustrated by it, and me wanting to ban it are very, very different things. And very this, much so. And this think of the children fallacy. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, like it the think of the children fallacy. I think I think maybe maybe we should stick a pin in this one, right? Won't somebody oh think of the children? Well, because there's there's another thing going on. It stunned me. Yeah, I, I saw this on MSNBC over the weekend. Joshua Donson on MSNBC was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the the uh, terminology now is um, 
puritine younger people in the LGBTQ community who don't want the kink, the fetish, the sort of old school, we're here, we're queer, get used to it stuff at Pride. And mm-hmm. they want to basically ban the Leathermen. And I was like, what? <laughs> you want to ban the Leathermen? The dudes that got arrested at Stonewall. You want to yeah. ban those dudes, right? And so, it, see, it's not just a right-wing thing. And of course, what was the pushback I got in social media? Think of the children. These parades should be family-friendly events. And, you know, on the one hand, we've had a pretty racy pride parade in Toronto for quite a while. I think it's fair to challenge or question the idea, should pride be family-friendly? Should it? Define family-friendly. Because the minute you get into family-friendly, you started getting into all this heteronormativity and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is this the right place? I don't know. I I admit that is some guy walking down the street wearing only a pair of uh, super soaker drenched tidy whiteies. My idea of a good time? No, but you know, is it really hurting anyone? Not really, right? right. Uh, now other people feel very strongly the kids shouldn't be exposed to that. You ask them why they do because they shouldn't. And I, you know, I said to a few people, you know, if a guy's in like, a, you know, the gimp masks, the like zippy mouth, like thing, and the guy's on a leash, I said, the kid's not going to contextualize that, right? Yeah. Should it be out on a public street? It depends on what the laws are on that street. But the think of the children argument is not the correct argument to make there. It's the one we made. Uh, at a music channel, my, my husband and I worked into the 90s of say this is the only time a person in rural America or Canada sees a gay person. Is this what you want them associating with it? That's the question. Not think of the children, right? right. Think of the children is often a tactic used to stifle debate. And I don't like it. And that makes me very unpopular in many circles who, who internalize the whole think of the children thing. It automatically, it, it almost immediately goes to pedophilia, right? Right. Pedophilia is just the ultimate slippery slope that, again, I'm very hesitant to go down that road in, in 99% of cases because that was the thing that was used against the advancement of gay rights in the 1990s mm-hmm. was, well, you know, it's the whole uh, no sex, it may lead to dancing argument, <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, that, well, if we let gay people get married, then why can't they marry children? Well, because they can't, right? That's a completely different thing. Or, or the other one, um, you know, why can't they marry animals? Yeah, because animals can't consent. There are really easy answers to these things, but people just reach for the emotional clobber instead of reasoning. And I guarantee you, anytime you feel the urge to make a think of the children argument, if you just stop and give it another five seconds, you can come up with something that actually holds up better to any scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this it, that's the through line, like everybody wants. I won't say everybody because some people are sociopathic, but 
there is a strong emotional pull to protect children, especially from bullying in schools, because it seems everybody has some sort that I know has some sort of story about being mercilessly bullied in school. I know I do. Right. Um, so there's that. I can relate to this. This was me. I, I can internalize what it feels like to be picked on, especially by a teacher. Like that's something that in a perfect world shouldn't happen in our world. Unfortunately, too often does. Mm-hmm. I just think that if the real goal here is to root out bad teachers, this is a terrible way of going about it. Because if you ban entire subjects, if teachers are not only told what skills they have to teach, but what topics they're allowed to teach, well, it makes it much harder to root out truly bad teachers because everything's so homogenous. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The, they can hide in the system. Yeah. Like, I don't think any school board is really going to protect any teacher that tells a kid you should be ashamed to be white. And there are some apocryphal stories that that's been done. I don't doubt for a second that some teachers lost their goddamn minds on a given day and said something horribly inappropriate to a student. I had that happen to me when I was in school. It happens. But is it happening at a rate that any correction more than getting rid of that teacher is the correct response? I say no. So the question is, what, you know, is, is there, is there, can we prove harm to these bands? That, that's the other thing I'm getting the argument of. There's no harm in it. There's no harm in it. If people, if teachers aren't teaching it anyway, there's no harm in it. And this is when I bring up the fact that the way some of these bills written is so bad that you can't even read Taming of the Shrew in a high school mm-hmm. English class anymore, because obviously certain passages in Taming of the Shrew outwardly state, often perform tongue in cheek these days, that men are superior to women. That violates the wording of these bills, that you can't say that anybody is superior to anybody based on any sort of identifiable characteristic. Except gay people, of course, it doesn't say anything about. I think some bills do actually say something about LGBTQ people. I find it very interesting that all of a sudden Republicans care so very much. Oh, yes. You they're, know, they're wonderful at performative care. Yeah, actually, they don't actually say sexual orientation. They just say race or sex. Um, inherently racist, sexist or oppressive. OK, so they're still they're still freezing out gay people. Mm-hmm. okay i still feel like i'm an earth one a bit it's, it's <laughs> terrible to say that but you know this is a critical thinking podcast and, and mouse this is one of the things that i big red flag for me all of a sudden the people who wanted to keep sex ed sexual education out of school out of schools all of a sudden they care terribly much about political act- activism Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, what is it? No school district or teacher. This is from the Texas law. 
shall require make part of a course or award course grading or credit, including extra credit for political activism, lobbying, or efforts to persuade members of the legislative or executive branch to take specific actions by direct communication at the local, state, or federal level, or any practicum or like activity involving social or public policy advocacy. According to that, though that boys' school that went down to a Trump rally and had that altercation with that indigenous man with the drum. Mm-hmm. That's illegal that now. That's mm-hmm. illegal now. They were wearing MAGA hats and that was a school trip. That's illegal now. I don't think they've thought this through. Of course not. They no. never think this through. No, I think maybe they think that, well, you know, we'll enforce it selectively so we can just own the libs. I'm I'm speculating at this point. I can't say for certain. But like, that's how ridiculous, like, is even a class trip to Washington now against the law? Would that be considered political activism because you're insisting, you know, some sort of acknowledgement of the federal government? It, it's a terribly, terribly written law. Well, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous because in, in <laughs> that in and of itself definitely um does create let's put it this way the ultimate goal of this bill is to create an education education system that is 100 compliant complicit and in agreement with all of the stances of the federal government by way of never criticizing anything because it is illegal and that sounds like the chinese communist party i'm sorry no, it does. I, it really I, does. I, I, that's that often gets smacked out. Oh, come on, that's hyperbole. But it sounds, nope. you know, it sounds very much like not being allowed to compare political figures to Winnie the Pooh to me. Mm-hmm. Like this is nuts. I, you know, the the thing is, and I I keep arguing with people, and I've I've finally given up. I've given up arguing with people on Twitter about this. Is that setting curriculum? or setting, you know, codes of conduct, they're affirmative, right? They're, this is what we will teach. These are the behaviors we expect, you know, men must wear a jacket at dinner, for instance, right? That's not the setting curriculum is done every single year by the school board. Every single year, there's a syllabus of what's expected to be taught, right? That doesn't usually require the involvement of state government. Nope. This is not setting curriculum. This is banning particular topics and not giving teachers any um, any ability to use their judgment when, say, the next George Floyd thing comes up. And that that's really what this is about based on the interviews with teachers I've read that kids were seeing in the news what was going on with the protests after you know the the, the murder of George Floyd by mm-hmm. a police officer who you know got 22 year, 22 and a half years in jail which makes quite a statement but some people are still unsatisfied so we're living in a time of intense social upheaval and kids are curious some are confused some are even scared and they're asking their teachers what's going on and now teachers can't tell them nope 
the kit. And I mean, that's really what this is about because these laws, I mean, okay, in Florida, it flat out says you can't teach critical race theory. That's pretty cut and dried. But the thing is, you, you know as well as I do that we've seen this before, right? Any sort of attempt in the 90s to teach any kind of tolerance or inclusion was met with, by conservative forces with, you're teaching that gay shit, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so they just, anything that even remotely makes them feel uncomfortable, they slap, slap a label on it. You know, homosexual agenda, critical race theory, and use that to shut people up. And this is not new. This is not new. And I'm really, I, I, I'm not surprised that certain alleged free speech advocates have no problem with this ban. Um, oh, I'm not surprised in the least. No, because, uh, you know, they were never really pro free speech. They were, no, they were only Fred, they, they were only pro their speech. Yeah, well, they, they, they were pro uh, sanctioned bullying. Mm -hmm. right you can't stop me i won't shut up all that stuff of course you know what were they spewing invective and this is where i start going okay there are obviously lines somewhere what are they because up here you know the cancel canada day stuff i i admit that one is just strange to me, from an emotional level, I kind of understand it. When people are feeling bad, they want to take everything away from everyone, right? But, you know, I think what if someone was an immigrant to Canada? They just got their citizenship, even though COVID means a lot of stuff ain't happening this year anyway. It's sort of a moot point. Mm -hmm. But people who want to celebrate Canada Day as a citizen for the first time this year you know, their local Canada Day celebrations are canceled. How does that feel to that person? Does that teach them anything? Is Does that create a more just society? Does that move anything forward? No. Of course, what was I told about that? Well, they're settlers. It's like, well, settlers, no, like Canada is a colonial construct. So yes, there's nothing we can do about that. If you're just going to call everybody settlers, like including refugees, immigrants and people who are, you know, second and third generation Canadian, we're not going to really get anywhere in terms of reconciliation. That's no. not reconciliation. That's a hardline stance. And, you know, I think in certain cases, like there's this one town where the place they use to set off the fireworks is the former site of a residential school. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that should probably go on, right? Like there, there's an example of, I see the wisdom in that one, yeah. you know? Um, but in general, I think that national holidays like this are a really good time to teach, to, to make people more aware of this stuff, which is clearly needed because as we spoke about before, people don't know this stuff. And I'm still floored that people don't know this stuff. I guess I shouldn't be though, just based on this topic of conversation, because if the knee jerk response is to just 
like do away with ban, you know, suppress memory hole, anything that makes anybody uncomfortable. What do we expect? Like, this is a feature of how things are being done, not a bug. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast. Uh, June 23rd was the anniversary of the largest terrorist attack, the deadliest terrorist attack in Canadian history. It was the deadliest aviation act of terror until 9-11, the bombing of Air India Flight 182. And I had a friend on that plane whose younger, she was seven years old, her younger brother, who was like four, uh, and her mother were on that plane. Her father was the only member of the immediate family who survived. And, you know, that was a major moment in Canadian history. And there was almost nothing about it this year. And we've got a leader of one of our major political parties who in the past has denied knowing that we know who was responsible and uh, had to be nudged uh, on Twitter by yours truly to even acknowledge the event this year. Uh, Yeah, Justin Trudeau and Aaron uh, Aaron O'Toole both acknowledge, uh, you know, they call it International Terrorism Memorial Day or something like that, but they both acknowledged it. Justin Trudeau called out the event by name. Aaron O'Toole didn't, but at least he acknowledged it. Jagmeet Singh didn't say anything until like an hour after I tweeted that he hadn't said anything. I guess there's a bit of power in having a verified account. (laughs) But uh, he he was too busy talking about clearing out the homeless encampments in Trinity Bellwoods Park. Nothing about, you know, the the deadliest uh, terrorist attack in Canadian history. Because, of course, the uncomfortable thing for Jagmeet Singh is that the perpetrators were Khalistani separatists, mm-hmm. meaning they were Sikh. Now, in this country, most of us recognize that that does not mean all Sikhs are bad people, right? We do not believe that all Sikh people are terrorists. These particular Sikh guys were terrorists driven by a particularly extremist desire to have a theocratic homeland. Um, That, I guess, is an uncomfortable fact for him. Maybe has something to do with who votes for him. I'm not sure. But that was a golden opportunity for him to model good behavior and stand up for something when there was a personal cost, right? If you he he loves to go around accusing other people of racism, you know, but when people who look like him and practice the same faith as him committed violence based on hate, that's an opportunity to practice what you preach and go, yes, this was done by people I share similarities with. Guess what? It's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And he blew that opportunity. And that is the lack of moral leadership that I see all over the place now. People will only call out the other, not the in-group, because then that's infighting, that's weakening things. And to me, that's just a race to the bottom. To me, nobody pays attention anymore. You know, it's it's gotten to the point where people are treating accusations of bigotry as badges of pride because everyone's gone through it. 
And that's a real, real problem. Mm-hmm. That's a very bad thing. It, it, it's a problem. And to be clear, I don't blame anyone who does it. I get it. I, I know I'm like, oh, why am I a transphobe this month? Because it happens so often. Um, you know, but we can't become and and Mouse, do you think this is a feature or a bug of the polarized political environment? Do you, hmm. do you think that activists, especially on the left, recognize that they are just hardening people's hearts for lack of a better term? That's a good question. And I honestly don't think that they're aware of it. You think they're not aware? I don't think they're aware of it. Well, that just shows the lack of critical thinking, because I mean, the argument's been made to me that they're totally aware because all they're interested in is power. And if they can push people into more and more and more bad acts, that boosts their recruitment for their extremist cause. I'm like that. That's giving them credit for a lot of intelligence. I'm not quite sure they have, but um, there that's are a bit issues. Of, see, that's that's a bit of um, crazy cakes um, conspiracy theory going on because remember, oh God, never ascribe to evil to, ma- to malice. <laughs> yeah, to malice. Be, what could be explained by stupidity? Or incompetence. Yeah, or incompetence. Um, I, I, that is a maxim for me. That, that is my first test on anything. I can, I can guarantee you the majority of um, liberals, um, with perhaps the exception of a couple of very extra hardliners in one particular government office or not, or, or whatever, are not going, yes, we shall push them to the limit and then. Once they have crossed the line, they <laughs> will be ours. <laughs> that was, I that was that. excellent evil villain voice. Well yeah. done. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, there's there's obviously a real level of blinders or cognitive dissonance or something there then because everybody can see them doing it. Well, I have... A little bit of an experience um, with <laughs> um, the um, objectivist movement. You um, have you have an objectivist chime now. It's yes, like, I do. <laughs> it's like <laughs> objectivism. They're like ha 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 So when I used to be part of the objectivist objectivist community, right. I saw this behavior too. The 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 berating, the pushing, and the yeah. absolute hardline attack. Um, and I can guarantee you, one hundred percent, that the people who were doing this weren't doing this as a way to manipulate people and push them to the brink. They were doing so because, and this is the problem when a philosophy becomes a religion. And I'm going to to preface this by saying a good chunk of the current generation of objectivists used to be hardline Republicans, yeah. used to be uh, religious Republicans who quote unquote, you know, converted yeah. out of being extreme religionists. Oh, but I they didn't never, know that part. Okay. Well, but never, I, that was a very, very, uh, th- that was a very, very common thing that we go, oh no, I used to be like a super hardline Republican and whatever, whatever. But 
and this is something I've noticed, they never actually work through their shit. They never. They didn't give up their magical thinking. Yes, they could yeah. never get rid of the god bug. Um, the, god the god bug. bug. And that's the, the thing that the, the god virus. And I call it that because it wants to propagate itself. It wants to replicate itself. It wants to invade another host and then proselytize. Um, and all that these people did was exchange religion for yeah. a philosophy. But instead of actually treating it as a philosophy, they treated it as a religion. Yeah. And so the behavior continued. Um, and so, and in many cases, as we have pointed out, a lot of people on the left do take some of their beliefs almost to the level of fervous religious mm -hmm. belief. Mm -hmm. And so what is very common, very common in that stage of, of almost total blind object belief is that they want to proselytize because they are the holders of the truth and they want you to know the truth and they want to correct your error because they are absolutely 100% certain that this is the truth. This is hmm. the truth. This is the absolute truth. Hmm. And, you know, if you continue to be uh, to re-inside, it will make them absolutely freaking angry because, you know, how dare you? you we've told you what the right way is. Why won't you listen and believe? Why won't you accept that what I am telling you is the truth? I know the truth now. Why can't you? Of course, huh. one, of the, one of the things that often is, um, that often doesn't register to them is that they had, uh, they had their own journey to get there, um, to, you know, to arrive at this, uh, at this truth right but they what they're missing is that the other person the the, the possibility that this other person has not had those experiences has not right. had that particular um thing explained to them in a particular way right. they just want to berate this into being a thing yeah oh i see so you're saying that they're not <sighs> they're not doing it on, on a rationalist paradigm of good, mm -hmm. better, or bad, good, bad, neutral, good, better, best, basically, yes. right? It's a total binary. It mm -hmm. is virtue and sin, and there is no in-between. Right. That actually explains the very pushy behavior. Yeah, it's it's very much. Oh, I am back in Catholic country again. All righty, <laughs> this is not my first rodeo. Yeah, it's it's funny, I guess, because you know I come from religion where um, there are a lot of rules, and so most thinking people go, "We're never going to get all six hundred and thirteen. You know, <laughs> this ain't Pokemon. This isn't Skylanders. We're not going to catch them. Actually, it's designed so you can't catch them all." because some casts can do things that others can't mm -hmm. so nobody can get perfect and that was it's taught as that's being deliberate because this isn't a competition right now of course a great many uh, you know very loud jewish people um treat it like it is a competition and and they they try to do displays of piety i'm, I'm certainly not claiming that you know there's a, a market cornered on virtue in the Jewish <laughs> community is quite the opposite, but you know, it, at least it's not built into the system. And th this, this is a, another thing that, I mean, okay, this is what we're dealing with at the residential schools in, in, in Canada as well, that 
the public school system that was set up by Eger, uh, Egerton, I think it's a, Ryerson. Um, Egerton Ryerson also basically wrote the blueprint for the residential school system as, you know, he was asked to write a paper of how would you do this? And he's like, this is how he did it. He, he wasn't actually the guy who implemented it, but right. you know, he's, he's been seen more and more as being somewhat responsible and people want to take his name off Ryerson university. Um, there's, it's funny. Cause that's an example of something I have less of a problem with because it's a private institution. They can name it, whatever they want, do what thou will. Right. right. Um, but you know, this, this, the fact that we are dealing with institutions where the church was heavily involved in their, their founding in mm -hmm. the structure of these schools. And no matter what we do, there is still, I mean, I still remember prayer in school. And I, I remember you had to go and you had to read from the prayer book and they claimed it was non-denominational and multi-denominational, but it had a heavy, heavy, heavy Christian slant. And I remember, you know, my, my family wasn't religious at all. I mean, I went, we went to a, um, a Bible camp when we lived in Ohio because they had the pool. <laughs> like it, it was, that's what was available. Right. So I came home marching, singing, marching in Jesus's army. My dad had friggin' kittens. Um, but you know, it, it obviously didn't take, um, but that sort of forcing of a particular worldview that it, that is inherently binary, right? It's sinner or saint, mm -hmm. good or bad. That's infused in everything that, that we do in terms of our systems in North America. And I do think that deserves examination, you know, and, and one of the things that I think deserves um, examination in that regard is the fact that, you know, a big part of the, the building of uh, Christian academia, for lack of a better term, is natural law theory, right? The idea that uh, going back to Aristotle, they, they built up these excuses for not allowing women to vote, not allowing women to own property, slavery, you know, white supremacy, all these things had a justification by God that let's face it, um, we're, we're one of the driving forces behind the colonizing of North America and the concept of manifest destiny that, that, drove, that drove the United States for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't have that. We don't have a sense of manifest destiny up in Canada, right? We, we practice uh, soft power or smart power because we're just not big enough, you know, economically or population-wise. We're just not big enough to have manifest destiny, to manifest that destiny, we punch above our weight class in terms of uh, global influence. We're not a very big country. The US is, the US is an economic powerhouse. Um, it has a very strong military. And when the US starts going, whatever you wanna call it in this way, uh, close-minded, <laughs> I'll, I'll say close-minded or, or very, 
very, um, what's the word? Very rigid, you know, it makes the rest. I mean, when the, when the inner Puritan shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Puritan's the right, the right word when it, it becomes this, we, we must cleanse the, the bad, the, the wrong thing. Right. I think the rest of the world gets very, very nervous because I mean, let's face it, the U.S. drives media, you know, more and more fortunately, it's it's not a complete stranglehold, bless anime. Um, you know, the, the Japanese are getting some say in media now too. But Debishi saved us. <laughs> well, the, the, the Japanese though, they don't want to offend. And so like Sony gets in a lot of trouble for censoring certain content, but you know, Sony's attitude is, well, we're importing to the US, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to force ourselves on anybody. If this is not to your custom, okay, fine, we'll take it out, right? And I'm like, well, yes, okay. I suppose that is censorship. It's not very pro-free speech, but hey, it's very polite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, at, at least I see their, at least I see their reasoning there because, you know, one of the big differences between um, Japanese culture and US culture is what's considered appropriate in terms of sexual content for teenagers. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's, there's much more sex in content for say like 15 to eight year old, 18 year old, even younger. It's, it's just not considered, um, it, it's not considered inappropriate the same way. The think of the children is very different. Um, and, and so that, that's the thing that, you know, sexualized depictions of high school girls and things like that. Totally fine in Japan. Yikes over here. Right. And right. this isn't, this isn't an examination of who's right or who's wrong there. It's just different norms. Right. Um, and I, we can't expect America to start adopting uh what the hell do we know kind of attitude. Right. But we, I, I do think we need to push back on stuff like this because we've seen too many times um, once one party does something and gets away with it, the other party doesn't get back into power and undo that. Mm -hmm. Granted, okay, the Biden administration is undoing a lot of the stuff Trump did. But a lot of it's going to stick, too, just because there was so much erosion. They can't possibly reset everything, right? Yeah. But things like um, executive orders, right? Legislation by executive order. That is skyrocketed since Bush. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it may have even started earlier than that. Like Clinton may have started it. I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't quite know. Um, Clinton did have his fair share. Yeah, but Bush just outdid him and you know then obama did a ton of stuff and people oh, yeah. say oh but daca was totally the right thing to do yes but whether something's right is a different point than if you do a lot of it <laughs> you know what i mean um mm -hmm. uh, and, and and so you know then you know there's this real backlash against transgender people that i find quite disturbing the abuse of the filibuster and the counter desire to eliminate the filibuster completely, um, 
you know, it was removed for lower court judges and now Supreme Court justices have no filibuster and so on and so forth. It's just chipping away, chipping away. And, you know, they're, they're even associating the filibuster with Jim Crow. And there, there are some legitimate, there are some legitimate things there, right? Like the filibuster was used to keep very racist laws on the books during Jim Crow. But just because someone is, that's when we get into the feature, not a bug discussion again, mm -hmm. and how it's really important that we identify whether something is a feature of something or a bug of something. And unfortunately, in both, in both our countries right now, there is a, a very vocal minority trying to insist that they know what was in the minds of people that lived hundreds of years ago. And that mouse, I don't know how you feel about that. I get immediately nervous when people start doing that. We have what's in the text, right? We don't know what was in people's minds. If somebody was very verbose, if somebody wrote a lot, we can infer. If someone made a statement on the record about something, all right, that's fair. But then you, you get figures like Martin Luther King, for instance, whose opinions evolved during his um, during his activism. Mm -hmm. And people treat snapshots in his experience as the totality of his views on something, right? For instance, the the comment in letter letters from a Birmingham jail where he talked about his, his he's almost he's he's almost convinced that the white moderate is more dangerous than an open racist you know people use that to attack moderates first of all i said he's almost convinced second of all there's a whole bucket of statements counter to that that he said when you know he wasn't at one of the low points of his life mm -hmm. just saying but this this is why i think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a bit of a conclusion here, Mouse, but feel free to add to it if you think there's something left unsaid. But that tendency, that tendency to try to define a person by a single three-line statement or even paragraph that they made in a heightened state is why we need more well-rounded history taught, you know, with views that challenge us as early as possible while still being age appropriate. And the thing that I actually don't hear people talking about that causes me concern is the sweeping kindergarten through grade 12, you can't talk about critical race theory, right? Kindergarten, I think everybody understands. Why can't a high school senior engage with that content? I see no valid reason that somebody who's a high school, even a high school junior can't, can't engage with that kind of content. They, they, they are already aware by that point that there are inequities in the world. They already have feelings about it. Why can't they read Derek Bell's essays and talk about it in class? Because somebody determined that, that, that just the name critical race theory means that you're saying that essentially the code is 
critical race theory says white people are inferior and black people are superior. And it doesn't say that anywhere. No, it doesn't say that anywhere. It does not say that white people are inherently racist, except for Robin D'Angelo. Um, nothing I've read from Derek Bell or even Kimberly Crenshaw talks about what's in the hearts and minds of people. They were dealing with legal structures, it, you know, except for Derek Bell's issues with Harvard. And he was totally right there. Um, yep. Harvard, as as woke as it's become, has a terrible, terrible track oh, record. Yeah. Terrible. Like it didn't end gen gender segregation until what fully until like 1999. Something like that. Women could teach at Harvard long before they could be students at Harvard. It was insane. And I mean, oh, God, you know, if you just look at the uh, the alumni databases you can tell they weren't exactly big to let uh people who weren't white in oh god no and i mean that that's the thing people got to understand about schools like that it's a reaction right they're trying to cover their asses they're selling a product to very rich people right now the children of rich people want want a woke product and so they're giving them that but is it sincere not from no. what i've seen i'm not seeing a ton of of uh of systemic change at, at, you know, the more elite U.S. schools. You know, I'm, I'm not seeing it here either. I mean, let's face it, we act like, I mean, Canada and the U.S. have diverged a lot in the last, you know, you identified around 40 years, 40, 50 mm -hmm. years, right? It, I, I think it really got going with Trudeau Sr. up here. But you, you could say it actually goes all the way back to uh, Tommy Douglas getting, um, uh you know, healthcare, government healthcare in, uh, in Saskatchewan and the domino effect that caused that, that could be the point where it's sort of diverted in values. Uh, but it is different, but we still, we still fall prey to this emotional reasoning, these lapses in judgment, this binary virtue and sin thinking. And it seems the more painful or scary the topic the more likely people are to do it when, in my opinion, that's precisely when, when something is scary or when something is painful, that is precisely when you have to stop, take a breath and don't say the first thing that comes to mind because it's probably going to be something you can't take back. But it seems that people are being rewarded for that performative pain and I've, I've noticed some some um, uh, black activists out in the States saying they're tired of having to perform grief. They're tired of having to publicly perform pain to get in people, order to be seen believable. Yeah, in order to be believed. And I totally agree with that. I don't think black Americans should have to perform perform suffering. I don't think Asian Americans or Canadians should have to perform suffering. I don't think indigenous people should have to perform suffering to be heard. And that's something we can do something about, right? Like people shouldn't have to be in this competition of who has it worse, because that's where this, you know, white grievance comes from too. If that's the playbook, if that's how you get seen, performative suffering, well, of course, these Republican activists are going to jump on that bandwagon and claim that white men are the real, real oppressed people. 
And I think that's behind the the CRT bands too. Oh yeah. It's it's trying to oh these poor concerned parents who are just worried about their children. And I don't know about you, Mouse. I may be going too far here because I admit this is an emotional response. And hence the caveat. I look at these concerned parents of today and they remind me of the kid, the, the parents who were kicking their kids out of the house for being gay back mm-hmm. in the 90s. They That's just seem cut from. Yeah. OK, so it's it's not just it's it, it is a gut response. But if I drill down in it, I can see the similarities and i i recognize that's a a posteriori argument that i'm justifying an emotional response with you know with data but that's not that doesn't necessarily make the statement invalid right right? just because it doesn't come from a purely logical place doesn't mean it's wrong well you've identified a pattern well it's it's the it's the it's the structure of the argument right Mm-hmm. that's fine for other people, but not my kid. Well, if it's not fine your, with for your kid, then it's really not fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're fine with something, you're fine with it if your kid does it. And uh, there's just so many people who, oh, public schools are fine for other children, right? Which is is why you know, they're kicking up this whole fuss when a lot, I mean, um, if, if they, it's interesting to me that all of a sudden white parents are so concerned with public schools. And I assume these are fairly good public schools because um, you, you don't see the outrage about safety issues, which people mm-hmm. should get outraged over the piss poor funding of public schools, the textbooks that are falling apart when there's even enough of them, the ballooning class sizes, these are things that warrant outrage. A subject that you may not like doesn't. That's, that's how Doug Ford got into office, by the way. He campaigned on um, reverting or, or reviewing the uh, sex ed curriculum that was, was coming up. That was a major wedge issue he campaigned mm. on. And it was a big reason he got the nomination over Christine Elliott, who's now the health minister at the time, was much more moderate. Um, she's kind of lost her soul. But yeah, that that these see these political wedge issues don't work great in generals up here, but they do get you the nomination. And so they're still super effective in that regard. And I mean, I think all we can do is sort of drill down and unpack what these things are to at least make people question when they have an emotional reaction to something like I just did. <laughs> Cause we can't, I mean, we can't totally remove emotions from the equation, right? We've talked about this before. Right. Unfortunately, but well, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Well, it isn't a bad thing. The problem is that our software is a little bit not as optimized in terms of being able to immediately get rid of issues that affect our functioning. Yeah, I uh, think we're, we're a little too comfortable with uh, rage and a little too uncomfortable with empathy, personally. Yeah, the Stoics had a saying, and which I will, I will, Seneca had a saying about mm-hmm. this, which I, I will close the podcast with Great. today, uh, because I think it touches upon 
a good amount of the underlying issues that we have discussed today. Oh, I thought, why don't we just go there? Broken clock, Shall PayPal, we? Patreon, you know the drill. Let's just close out. All right, here comes the thought train. Choo-choo! Choo-choo! By Seneca on his essay on anger. If you want to determine the nature of anything, then trust it to time. When the sea is stormy, you can see nothing clearly.